Hail witches, it's Angel, co-host of the Science Witch Podcast. I wanted to share with y'all a recording I made of my presentation this past weekend at the Witches' Fair and Gathering in Albany, Oregon, where I got to talk about sourdough and relate it to ancestor veneration. As this is the time of Samhain, when we remember our beloved dead, I wanted to share this presentation as my offering to you during this season. I hope y'all had a lovely Halloween and Samhain if you celebrated them together. I will be celebrating Samhain on November 6th with a silent supper for my ancestors since Halloween was such a busy time for me in regards to community events. In this presentation, I cover a lot of the same information I mentioned previously in the episode with Inku on sourdough and the god Lou, but I tied it specifically to ancestor veneration in regards to the fact that many of us are descendants of people who baked with sourdough if our ancestors baked bread at any point before the advent of fast-rising yeast during World War II. The sound quality is admittedly a bit rough, and there is a lot of background noise in the recording. I tried my best to filter out some of the noise, but the event was held in an old Grange building, and therefore it sounds of the event carried throughout the wooden halls of the building and got picked up in the recording. All the same, I hope you find this interesting and inspiring for you in your own ancestor practice. Additionally, we are offering to send sourdough starters to our Patreon supporters at the Science Witch Coven level. So check out our Patreon if you are interested in having one sent to you through the mail. In addition to releasing this recording, I am also working on editing and releasing a presentation that I did a few weeks ago at Biggest Little Fur Con in Reno, Nevada with my partner Triad Fox on the topic of furry and the occult. We discussed anthropomorphic deities in Kemetic, Vedic, and pre-Christian European pantheons, and followed it up with an open discussion of spirituality in the furry fandom. This ended up being a very popular panel that generated a lot of discussion, so I wanted to make sure to share the recording we made from it on the podcast as well. Then, in another week, I will be attending Oricon with my husband, Puppy, and there we are hosting a panel about Dungeons and Dragons, witchcraft, and the Satanic Panic. I will be sure to record the presentation and post it on the podcast, since this is a topic many folks have expressed interest in. Of course, we are still working on the Science Witch podcast and hope to release our wonderful interview with Nicholas Pearson soon, as well as record an episode on seasonal fruits coast to coast. I will be releasing the next stickers in our series that will include Edune, art by me, and The Morgan, which features art by my sister-in-law, Christiane. Be sure to check out our Patreon if you want to receive a sticker from our Scion of Science series. So, without further ado, here is my presentation on ancestor veneration and sourdough at the Witches' Fair Gathering. for coming out to this Witches' Fair and Gathering. I am just so excited to be in community again with all you wonderful witchy people. Let's give the organizers and the vendors a round of applause for coming out. 
and making this event happen. This has been really exciting. My name is Angel. Uh, I use they them pronouns, and I am one of the coordinators of the Wild Witches of the Willamette. We are a witch wide web. We are kind of based out of Salem, but we have events throughout the entire Willamette Valley and Moon Dancer right here. Why don't you wave? She's, she's our official Wild Witch crone, so we're very grateful that uh, she shares our wisdom. And we do witch walks, we also do uh, sabbats. We're actually going to be having a Samhain sabbat tomorrow night at As Above, who is also here. So if y'all are looking to come out to a Samhain event, we're going to be having a in uh, South Salem. Also, with the Wild Witches, we have an online year-and-a-day class that uh, we've been doing since late January of this year. And you can join, it's free, and we do all of our classes over Zoom, and we record all of them. So if you happen to miss a class, you can go ahead and watch it after the fact. And our next class, which I think is going to, is going to be on Sunday, November 17th, is going to be featuring Moon Dancer and Phaedra Bonowitz, who I think is also here, she might be outside. But um, they're going to talk about how witchcraft has changed in the 40 years or so that they've been practicing, and how to sort of help shepherd this new generation of witches, and have that connection between the elders and all these new witches who are coming up and, and really hungry for this knowledge, but sometimes may not have the best resources available to them, or best information through all of the various online outlets. But um, I'm also a co-host of a podcast called the Science Witch Podcast, and I host it with my best friend, Inku, who is a, um, a sociology PhD, and he studies labor, and as well as queer communities, and he and I like to talk about how science and witchcraft intersect, interact, and affirm one another, because both of us, and I'm sure many other people here, would agree that science and witchcraft don't have to oppose each other. In fact, there's a lot of things that we do in science that were first used in witchcraft and magic. And so, um, just a little bit about me. I, of course, am a witch, and I'm also a scientist. I have a master's degree in microbiology and mycology, so microbes and mushrooms. I also had three years of PhD that I did not finish, so I'm not a doctor, but I, when I was still in grad school, I studied mycorrhizal interactions of, between trees in the forest and restoration ecology. So it's really interesting that mycorrhizal fungi have kind of become this hot topic, especially with Susan Samard's recent book, Finding the Mother Tree, and Susan Samard is a ecologist out of UBC Vancouver, and she was the scientist who found that through these mycorrhizal networks, 
trees are able to provide parental care to their babies, as well as share resources and communicate across these vast mycorrhizal networks that are under the forest floor and soil. That was kind of my background. Nowadays, I am an industrial microbiologist. So my craft is largely inspired by microbes and using microbes in a way that informs my magic. So I have two topics I'm going to talk about today. And in the spirit of sharing this knowledge and have some little freebies to bring home, I have little sourdough starters that you can take home to start your own sourdough, as well as kombucha. So because I have to, I'm filling in for one of the presenters who didn't get to make it, so I'm going to kind of stretch that out over the next little while. And so, okay, I'm going to talk first about sourdough and how to use sourdough in your ancestor practice. And then after we take a break, we're going to do some more raffles. I'll start to talk about kombucha and kombucha, how to use that in a sort of lunar cycle practice. Both of these topics, if you are interested and you want to learn more about them, I have an episode that I do on each one on the Science Witch podcast. And you can follow that. We're on Google Music, we're on iTunes, we're on Anchor, so we're at Spotify too, so you can kind of find us. As we have a website as well, sciencewitchpodcast.com. So like I said, if you are interested in this and you want to find out more, you would like to connect with us, check us out on those platforms, and I'd be great to, to talk and connect with some more people. Okay, so as we are now very much in this time of Samhain, this is an important time for us to remember those who have passed before us, our beloved dead. And as well as honoring ancestors, both blood and exalted, I actually am going to be putting a special spot on my altar for a ancestor that I'm not blood related to, but I definitely feel she was, she's one of my witchy art types. Um, an artist, an Australian artist by the name of Rosalie Norton. She's also known as the, yeah, so the, the witch of King's Cross. And she was a phenomenal artist in the 1950s that did artwork that the 1950s was not ready for. <laughs> and it's incredible. I, I highly recommend checking out her work. She's going to be honored on my ancestor altar this time because she suffered for her art. The Australian government at one point confiscated her art and burned it because they thought it was so obscene. And her artwork was a lot of channeled ideas about entities that she would encounter through her trance work, which she didn't have access to as the, the hallucinogenic drugs you would think that somebody who was coming up with this stuff would have access to when they draw this stuff. And so it's, her work is really interesting. And so as a 
I invite you to check it out. It's Rosalie Norton, and her artwork's really stunning. So she's going to be someone I'm, I'm honoring on my ancestor altar this Samhain season. Additionally, I'm going to be honoring a dear friend and mentor who passed on in December of this past year, a man by the name of Richard, who was a medium as well as a tarot reader. And so he's also going to be someone I honor, as well as like my blood-related ancestors, like my grandmother and my more distant ancestors that I might not know. And so, who here has an ancestor altar? Just see a show of hands. Like, who? Yay, okay, great, yeah, cool. Yeah, I'm, I know that some people have, well, let's say trauma associated with their ancestors, and there's a lot of recent discussion and, and sort of buzz almost in the witchcraft community about using our ancestor work to heal ancestral lineages. For those of us who happen to be from colonizer backgrounds, really working to decolonize our thinking and our approach and healing the land while we heal this sort of ancestral trauma. And part of that, of course, is having an ancestor altar and having a practice, but also if, if you happen to be from a colonizer background, one of the ways that you can kind of honor the indigenous people whose land, you know, the unceded territory many of us live on is by paying a land tax and or doing some sort of work to support the indigenous communities. Confederation of the Tribes of the Grand Ronde have a powwow. And so I invite us as spiritual people as a way to kind of give back to the indigenous land that we, we live on as a way to honor the people that are still here and connected to that. Okay, so let's talk about what we're here to talk about today, and that is sourdough. Okay, so first off, what is sourdough? Well, I like to think of sourdough as a living bread pet that you feed, that then feeds your family. So both of the things, both of the, the different types of ferments I'm talking about today, they have a very long history of use from humans. Pretty much every culture you find around the world has some fermentation practice. And as also a part of your ancestor work, if, if you have a fermentation culture, like if, like if your grandma made sauerkraut, or you had a pickle recipe for one of your aunts, that's, that's knowledge, that's ancestral knowledge that I really invite you to learn more about, especially if you're if your living relatives, maybe they're a little older, because these fermentation recipes, they hold so much culture in them. There's so much culture and ancient wisdom in fermented, fermented food. And one of the things about sourdough that I particularly like in, in an ancestor practice was prior to World War II, around the 1930s, all bread was sourdough. If you wanted leavened bread, you had to have a sourdough starter. 
And there's actually a sourdough library in Belgium. There's an Atlas Obscura article and link to it, but they have a library of sourdough starters from all over the world. And these sourdough starters were very precious to the people that kept them. So basically, if you had a sourdough starter in your family and your family used it, they would pass it down from generation to generation. And some families even brought their sourdough starter across great distances and in escaping war and famine, and they brought their sourdough to the, the country that they would usually be in the United States. And so, in a way, sourdough starters kind of are sort of a living embodiment of a family's relationship to food. And so, sourdough is a ferment, as I mentioned, so what does that mean? So a ferment means that you're using microbes to break down indigestible components of food. So, is anybody here gluten intolerant? Yeah. So one of the things that, the, one of the theories as to why gluten has become such an issue is because we no longer have largely fermented bread anymore. It's the bread you get is this, this yeast, this fast road yeast that's very quick. So from start to finish, you can bake bread in 30 minutes. That's not how our ancestors did. And so when you're using sourdough, it takes a long time, like 15 hours from beginning with the starter all the way to putting it into the oven. And in that 15 hours, the microorganisms, the yeast and the bacteria that are in the sourdough culture, they're breaking down that gluten and they're making it more digestible. So you can make a gluten-free sourdough starter. It's totally able, like the microbes will still eat gluten-free flour. But that's one of the things about sourdough that when we went to this like modern convenience of fast food where we could have flour and it would definitely rise thanks to the yeast, we lost this richness of the microorganisms alchemizing the flour and turning it into something even more digestible and nourishing. In addition to making it more digestible, when you have sourdough, it also increases uptake of nutrients and vitamins as well. So there's a lot of benefits to eating sourdough in addition to having this connection. And so as I said, before World War II, anytime anyone was baking bread, they were using sourdough. So all of our ancestors in here, even if it wasn't maybe a direct ancestor, all of us are descended from people who baked with sourdough. And besides just the time, I find that I was intimidated by sourdough when I first started to my kind of fermentation journey because, well, for one, it just seemed a little overwhelming that something would take so long because I, you know, I'm a, I'm a busy witch. I do a lot of things. 15 hours is a really long time. And so one of the things I've really enjoyed in developing my, my sourdough practice over the course of this past year 
is that it, it invites me to slow down and pay attention to my home and my heart. And then, when I do get to bake the sourdough, I have this delicious loaf of sourdough that I can feed my family, my community with. I can also, I always make sure to give some to my ancestors on my ancestor altar. And that's another big part of why I really like using sourdough for my ancestor practice as a way to connect to my ancestors is because every time I bake a loaf of fresh sourdough bread, they always get some. So how to get a sourdough starter? Sourdough is it's a community of microorganisms. And whenever you're fermenting, it's really important to create an environment that is not going to have contamination. So for any of you who did want to take home one of these little sourdough starters, first off, you don't want to keep it in plastic. Whenever you're fermenting anything, you don't want to keep it in plastic because it tends to produce like lactic acid, and that can break down plastic. So whenever you have a sourdough, you want to make sure to put it in a bio-unreactive container, which is glass. I think there might be some food-safe food plastics that you could use, but I feel like with my ancestor practice, going and finding a big, beautiful glass like container, or if you happen to have one already, with one of those tops that you can like latch, that's what I use. I don't want it to be completely airtight, but, but yeah, just having just one of these glass containers, it doesn't have to be airtight. And then you can start a sourdough starter with just the simple ingredients of flour and water. That's all you need. The yeast tends to be ambient yeast that is found within many kitchens. So the yeast that is involved in the fermentation process is something that's been living with humans for pretty much, they're just ambient yeast. So they've been around as long as we have, probably longer because they're yeast. <laughs> and then the bacteria, lactic acid bacteria, which is found on anything that is natural. So all of your vegetables, anything that really is that is like in the natural world is going to have lactic acid bacteria on it. And that's how you make sourdough, uh, not sourdough, sauerkraut, is because that bacteria that actually ferment is already on it. Now, the best way, the easiest way, if you, if you maybe don't have the patience, is always to get a little bit of sourdough starter. Because this has all of the microorganisms. If you were to make it yourself, you would have to basically add the water to the flour, stir it, and then kind of leave it open so the yeast will colonize it. And sometimes you can get, sometimes you'll get in, uh, like mold and stuff. So you got to be careful when you're when you're starting it. But I've seen that people online get it usually when they're starting their starter by like just flour and water. It's not difficult. It's just there is the potential for contamination. So if you get a healthy starter to start out with, you don't have to worry so much about the contamination issues. So then once you, you know your starter is doing well when it starts to bubble, 
And those bubbles are carbon dioxide bubbles that are released from the yeast. And that's how you know when your starter's really happy is it's bubbly. And it'll have that really nice kind of like, almost like slightly alcoholic bread smell to it. Now, when you have an active starter, it's important if you're baking with it every day to feed it every day. Professional bakers feed it every six hours. That's way too much for me. <laughs> I feed mine every night before I go to bed as part of my ancestor practice. I like to feed it. The other thing is one of the ways, one of the reasons why usually people who bake with sourdough always have extra sourdough to give is because every time you feed your starter, you need to discard. Now, what do I mean by discard? So, when it comes to sourdough, the sourdough starter, it, it's a community of bacteria and yeast. And if you, you have to feed it. It's like a living thing, you have to feed it. And it's important to kind of like, when the, when the starter gets pretty big, you take some of it out, and then you put some fresh food in for it, so it can start to ferment the new flour. And that'll keep your starter really active and happy because when you do the discard it's basically like pruning it and so that the yeast have more the yeast and bacteria have more food and they can become more active and vigorous and then so if you can't feed your starter every day and you're gonna say go out of town i actually went out of town last weekend you can put it in the fridge and then if you put it in the fridge just make sure you take it out every week and feed it and and that will be a way to keep it alive now if you put it in the fridge and you like forget about it it can possibly come back i've seen people who left their sourdough starter or their sourdough in the fridge for weeks to a couple of months and they pulled it out and they were able to get it going again but when your sourdough dies, you know. It smells really bad. Really, really bad. Another thing is when the sourdough goes dormant, it tends to get this like, like slightly alcoholic layer of what looks like white liquid on top of it. That's called a pooch. Now, there are recipes throughout the world where people use that pooch for various different things. I think they even brewed with it. I haven't really found any use for it, so I like to pour it off. Some people say you can stir it back in, but that's a waste product, and I don't really want to stir in my sourdough's waste product back into it. So I, I pour it off. But then, so once you get in a good rhythm, and you're feeding your sourdough, and then you're discarding, that discard is what you use to bake with. Now, there's thousands and thousands of, of recipes for sourdough. You can make bread, you can make pizza, you can make pizza dough, you can make just about anything. Anything you can think of that you, you, you want to make. Cookies, make muffins, what else have we made? We've made a lot of different kinds of stuff. It's basically, you make with sourdough whatever you would bake normally with, with normal flour. It's just, you're getting to add a little bit of that magic from your kitchen, that little magic bread pet, into whatever you're baking, and that kind of adds more substance and, and nutrition to it, as well as your own magic.
When I'm baking, for the first part, and, and this is a recipe I've done a lot, so I've kind of memorized it. You want to take a little bit of your starter and then you mix it with your flour and then all your various other ingredients and then you mix it up really well and then you allow it to rise. And then you work the dough again and then allow it to rise. And then you work the dough again and then you allow it to rise and then you bake it. So it's going to be a process of working with the dough and then allowing it to rise. And so, like I said, it's not a quick recipe, but it's not difficult. It's definitely not a difficult thing. And then the other thing is when you're, you, when you're baking bread, which is witchy, you know, it's a witchy thing to do is baking bread. You can incorporate herbs from your garden. I know I definitely, this past season, since Lunasa, going all the way through the into September, I baked a lot with just regular sourdough loaves, but I put various different herbs from my garden, like rosemary on top, and that just kind of like increases the magic of the bread because you have your sourdough, but you also have the magic of rosemary. And so rosemary is associated with memory and protection, and so you can kind of like really get kitchen witchy in it. Go find your stray good grandmother and be like, okay, what kind of recipes do you know of that I could add and, and really get into it? And then once you get into a good rhythm and you're baking a lot, like I said, one of my one of the things that's really central to this is making sure to give a little bit to your ancestors and putting it on your ancestor altar. And afterwards, I like to take after like I let I leave it out at night. I like to take it and bury it in the backyard because that's when the, the spirits, of course, have like taken the energy of the bread and you can just bury it or you can compost it. A couple of my offerings did get eaten. I won't say by who, but he's sitting right over there. It's my dog, not my husband. My husband wouldn't eat anything off of the ancestral to be no But I feel like the spirits were still like there. They enjoyed it, even if my dog enjoyed it more. So my thoughts about how do you sourdough in your ancestor practice? Do we have any questions? Questions? Anybody? Yeah, what's up? So, let me repeat the question. So you can make a gluten-free sourdough starter that totally can. You just get the gluten-free flour and water, and you do the same process that you would a gluten-based flour. It's the same thing. The microorganisms and the yeast, they can still ferment and metabolize the, the, the gluten-free um, the gluten-free flour. So yeah, that's that's totally able to. And yeah, maybe if you, you know, of course, get the direction of your, your doctor, of course, very important. But maybe introducing a little bit of sourdough with gluten into your diet as a way to kind of like get your body more used to gluten. Because yeah, like I said, that once we stopped baking, and we stopped with these slow foods, you find that the instances of people's like allergies go up. Like for instance, peanuts. Peanuts are 
one of the most allergy-producing natural products in the world. And that's because peanuts grow in the soil and they have certain types of proteins that protect them from soil bacteria. And with all of them, our modern-day you know, cleaners that clean 99% of bacteria, which, by the way, you don't need to clean 99% of the bacteria, it has created this disconnect between us and the microbial world, because we're afraid of the microbial world. And then, so, peanuts, which have all these you know, allergens, they didn't used to be a problem before we started using all of these cleaners and disinfectants, and so, one of the theories is just that because we have so much antimicrobial products that we use very often, our bodies are not able to recognize that this is just a peanut, it's not something that's going to kill me, you know. But our bodies say, no, no, that's going to kill us. And that's in, in part because of this sort of disconnect we have experienced between ourselves and the microbial world. Another thing I like to do in terms of like connecting my witchcraft and my witchcraft practice to microbes and microbiology is I like to, when I'm meditating, connect with the microbiome in my body. And all of us, every single human being here, has a unique microbiome in your gut, in your mouth, in your eyes, like our entire, we are all a multitude of different types of bacteria. And this is especially true in our guts. Our gut microflora is extremely diverse, and every human being has a very unique microflora throughout their, like in their body, but especially in our gut. And it, it's the research that's come out with the, the microgenomics, we're finding that your gut microbiome is more specific to you than your fingerprints, in much by orders of magnitude. And also that what you eat very much impacts that microflora. So when it comes to highly processed foods with lots of sugar, when you consume that, you're changing your microbiome. Because if you're giving the, the gut bacteria a bunch of sugar that they can quickly metabolize, but not a lot of nutrients to return to the body, that can cause dysfunction. It can, it's one of the reasons we have such a high rate of obesity. And so connecting to microbes through these sort of meditative practices as well as being really conscientious of our food and reconnecting with these ancestral fermentation practices is a really good way to heal not only our ancestral line, but also our own bodies. Now, that's to say there is not equal access to good nutritious food, as we know. There's food deserts, there's places where fruits are more expensive, fruits and natural food is more expensive than, say, processed prepackaged food. And that's something I feel as witches, we can also like work to try to help bring about that change and being the ones that carry this knowledge of fermentation. And brewing, of course, is also a type of fermentation, and witches are very tied to brewing. In fact, the 
the witch hat. Now, okay, there's there's just debate about this. This isn't this isn't to say that this is definitely where the witch hat came from. But one of the ideas is where the witch hat came from is that women would brew uh, various different types of beer, healing beers, and elixirs, and then when they would go to market, they would bring their witch hat. And so people would see them walking around with their witch hat, and they would come up to them and be like, okay, what, what do you have when they're the brews? And there are incredibly rich and very beautiful brewing cultures, especially in Latin America, where only women were allowed to brew. No men. No men were not allowed to brew beer or brew any kind of thing. So there's a lot of richness in these, these fermentation culture. And so if you happen to have access to that, I really invite you to look into that. But getting back to the microbiome, one of the things I like to do in my meditation is just kind of like, in addition to doing a body scan, just kind of saying hello to my microbes. Like thinking about my microbes in my gut and saying hello to them and being present with them and just remembering them and thanking them for helping me because our gut microbiomes and our gut health is so important. We actually have what is essentially brain matter in our gut. And so it's extremely important to have a good relationship with your gut microbiome for your overall health and wellness. And however that is, that you can find that healing because again, that's very individual. It's very individual to you and to you. Does anyone have any other questions or comments? Thoughts? I can go on and on talking about microbiology all day long in science. It's probably my favorite topic, and I am a podcaster, so. <laughs> okay, well, um, I'll go ahead and finish a little early because I'm going to be talking about another topic here in a couple more minutes. So you can get out and shop. Make sure you check out the outdoor vendors as well as the indoor vendors. So the outdoor vendors have some really great stuff too. And um, I'm just really happy that we get to have this event. I'm really, it's been so long. I haven't been to an event like this in so long. I did get to go to Pagan Pride, but I'm really happy to see here in like the Salem, Albany area, us all getting to come together and, and celebrate Samhain again as a, as a community. And so I just, I really want to thank y'all very much. Can y'all stand up a second? Because these are, these are the folks that helped put this on. These, these lovely ladies are the reason we all get to be here. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for this. So I did bring little sourdough starters. I don't have a lot of them, so um, only one per household. But um, if you like, you can take one home. Like I said again, do not keep it in plastic. Lactic acid breaks the plastic down, so don't keep it in plastic. And make sure when you put it into a, a glass container, you only want to mix it with a wooden spoon. Never use plastic or metal. Metal is not a good idea. Use a wooden spoon. In fact, I like to ritualize it, and I have a specific wooden spoon that's magic that I consecrated for my sourdough. So there's different recipes to use online. Usually I like to do a two to one ratio. So two teaspoons.
ways you can do it, and the more moist your bread is, the, the more, the less it's going to have the possibility to rise. So it, it does kind of become like an alchemy. You kind of have to play around with it. It's not pretty, but the great thing is it's pretty easy. It's not difficult to still get good bread, but if you want really good bread, then there's sort of important to keep track. And look up recipes online, too. Like, play around with the recipes. So yeah, keep it in a glass jar. Only use wood when you're mixing it. Make sure you discard about half of your sourdough starter each time. If you're just starting out, you don't have to discard. Like, with this little bit amount, I would just keep feeding it, like, two teaspoons of flour and one teaspoon of water each day to get it bigger. But then when you're starting to get to where you want to bake with it, that's when you start discarding it. And at the discard, you can put it in the fridge, you can make things with the discard, you can directly bake with the, the discard, or you can give it away. Because this has all the microbes, this has the, the yeast and the bacteria in the sourdough culture that you need to basically have somebody have their own sourdough culture. So it's super easy. There's recipes, plenty of recipes and YouTube videos online. I know sourdough was kind of like a thing during the pandemic because everybody was at home and everyone like got to bake sourdough. Yeah, so if you're interested, I have a couple, I think I have about five more of these so you can come and get one. And um, we're gonna take a break, maybe do another raffle. And then I'll talk about another ferment that I also have to share, which is kombucha. So yeah, we'll, we'll meet back here and say about 20 minutes. And thank you very much. Enjoy the fair. Thank you to the Witches' Fair and Gathering in Albany, Oregon, for giving me the opportunity to speak about sourdough and ancestor veneration. Stay tuned for more episodes from the Wild Witches series and our next episode on the Science Witch podcast featuring Nicholas Pearson about crystal magic. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, feel free to reach out to us at questions at sciencewitchpodcast.com. Find us on Instagram and Facebook at sciencewitchpodcast and on Twitter as Science Witch Pod. Until next time, live long and prosper, and blessed be.